circle, yes, we rotate 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high, Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as the Bay Area. On tonight's show, we'll hear three stories about police violence and police reforms that have come out of these tragedies. First, we'll hear from the family of Angelo Quinto as they work with Assemblyman Mike Gibson of California to bring much-needed reforms to police departments in our state as well as locally here in Antioch. Later, we'll hear from Sandra Talbert as she marks four years since the Pittsburgh police took the life of her son, Terry Amons. We'll also hear from Barbara Doss, the mother of Dwan Armstrong, her son was brutally killed by the deputies inside the Santa Rita jail. That's tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freebone Franklin, coming to you from downtown Antioch. This is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. Welcome back to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. Before we get into the show tonight, I want to send a special shout out to the family and friends of Michael Hosey, who recently passed away. Michael was a regular KPFA volunteer. When we still had listener volunteers answering the phones during the fun drives, he was a regular he was also in training as an audio engineer and worked with the late-night jazz show Pajaba, Bay Area jazz and blues artist. I personally remember Michael as someone who always wanted to help. He would help by doing whatever he could. That included helping with audio equipment or even setting up before and cleaning up after station events. Michael will definitely be missed around KPFA and the Bay Area. So in honor of Michael, this show is dedicated to him tonight. He always expressed concern for the families who endured and fought against police violence. Michael Hosey, presente. Well, let's get into the show tonight. We'll start off with coverage of... An update from the Collins Quinto family and their ally in the legislature, Assemblyman Mike Gibson, representing District 64 here in California. For those that are not familiar with the Angelo Quinto case here in Antioch, the family just marked the one-year anniversary since their son Angelo was put in a form of a control hold, which led to his death by positional asphyxia, by cutting off Angelo's air supply by placing their knee on the back and neck of Angelo. The family was subjected to a coroner's inquest where the sheriff's department oversees the coroner and the medical examiner and determines the cause of death. 
In the end, the coroner's inquest determined that Angelo's death was accidental, but caused by a junk science term called excited delirium. Excited delirium is not recognized by the World Health Organization, the American Psychiatric Association, or the American Medical Association, and it is not listed as a medical condition in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health Disorders, or International Classification of Diseases. It is most often brought up when someone dies in police custody to cover for the police. Let's check out this conversation I had with members of the Quinto Collins family and Assemblyman Mike Gibson as they introduce AB 1608, a bill focused on greater transparency in law enforcement. AB 1608 would separate coroner's offices from the sheriff departments in counties across the state. Welcome, everybody. This is Freewell and Franklin reporting on KPFA uh, Full Circle. And right now I'm being joined by um, two members of the Quinto family, Robert um, Collins Quinto and Bella. And they've been our guest on the show many times to talk about um, what happened um, to their beloved family member, Angelo Quinto. And also with us is Assemblyman Mike Gibson, who has been working with the Quinto family and helping to get some progressive legislation passed around uh, policing and how um, police officers use force. So um, welcome, uh, Bella and Robert, back to KPFA in full circle. Thank you very much, Franklin. We appreciate uh, uh, you having us here. Yes, thank you. Thanks for coming on with us. And Assemblyman uh, Mike Gibson, thank you for taking the time and uh, to share the work that you're doing uh, with uh, the Quinto family here today. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. I think the Quinto family and the Collins families are part of the Gibson family. And so it is our hearts that have been woven um, around a mission of, of, of changing and reforming what law enforcement looks like in the state of California. And I absolutely appreciate their, uh, their efforts and their work. Definitely. Um, thank you very much for that. And I think we all appreciate that. There's been a lot of uh, changes um, locally that we've been fighting for and that they have really helped push forward. And it's just been a long time coming. And thanks for all that help. And with Angelo, um, the spirit, I guess, of Angelo that has helped us and people like George Floyd, Bianca Taylor, um, that have moved this stuff, not only here locally, but across the country and statewide. Um, so let's talk about real quick some of these um, victories have because here in Antioch, uh, we have now got uh, body cams and dash cams, something that has been lacking. And we're going to have the kickoff soon of the um, mental health crisis response team. And briefly, I just want to mention, as I mentioned to you previously, that here in Antioch, we have had um, people killed by the restraint and the chokehold. In 2015, Rakim Rux, who was, um, he was crushed basically and smothered to death in a control hold situation by the Antioch police. He too was um, suffering a mental health crisis. And actually, um, in the end, it turned out that he had called the police on himself for some help. Um, resulting in his death. And then in 2016, Wendell Celestine, he was choked in a chokehold in downtown Antioch. Um, the coroner ruled that as a homicide, but it turns out that it was also an accident. 
Um, in both these cases, of course, no police were ever charged or held accountable in those deaths. In fact, um, many of the officers are still on the force today walking the streets of Antioch. And then, of course, um, Angelo, who we talked about in the opening of the this piece um, in of uh, 2020 before New Year's was also killed in this control hold way. And even after Angelo in February of 2021, um, Arturo Gomez Kalel uh, was killed after the police in here in Antioch used a taser on him. At that time, Chief Brooks stated that no chokehold or knee restraints were used. Um, but of course, at that time, we would have to take the officer's word for it because we had no other evidence like a dash cam or police body cam. So in light of all this and the stuff that has happened in Antioch, Robert and Bella, can you talk about these, I guess I would call them victories. I don't know how victorious I feel, um, but these gains, these progressive gains we have made that come from the work that both you, Robert, your family, um, the coalition of activists and Assemblyman Gibson um, have passed. Talk about First, I would say here locally with the um, body cams and the mental health response team. Well, thank you, Frankton, and thank you, Assemblyman Gibson. One of the things that's very clear is that we that what happened to Angel was very, very unfortunate, but it happened at a specific time in history where there was already impetus for change, and so hopefully we've just been able to add his story to catalyze uh, further change. But many. Uh, many folks were working on this change before uh, Angelo's death, and unfortunately, we hadn't happened yet. Um, but I think we were really fortunate uh, in our misfortune that the Antioch City Council had uh, just um, won such a progressive victory in November, one month before Angelo died, um, and that uh, uh, and that the City Council has been committed to making many of those reforms. So we we have added our voices, the coalition. Uh, the Justice for Angelo Quinto Justice for All Coalition uh, has been working with us, as has as have many Antioch activists uh, in making these local changes that have been very important. Um, but we don't want to take anything away from the legislators. Uh, in, in this case, the Antioch City Council, uh, Mayor Lamar Thorpe, Vice Mayor Monica Wilson, and Councilmember uh, Tamisha Torres Walker, particularly, uh, but others as well, because we've had some many five zero votes. Uh, on this. Uh, so uh, Barbanica and Ogrecek have also uh, sometimes supported common sense reform. So, um, you know, it's really an unfortunate thing that happened to our family. It's hard to get over. Of course, we never will get over it, but it does help that we can at least lend our voice to collaborate on changes that I think are just common sense. And I think most of the changes we've seen are just common sense. They will save Antioch money. It just makes sense. And then on the state level, we have been blessed. I cannot tell you enough by the people that we've met through this process, because in this tragedy, we've found people who are committed to making this a better California. And chief among those is Assemblymember Gibson, who passed um, last year the anti-chokehold legislation that this state needed um, in light of what had happened to Mr. Floyd. Um, however, that legislation was whittled down at the end of the process and um, holds that lead to positional asphyxia were not included in the final version that passed. We were so fortunate to meet him and we do consider 
the Gibsons as members of the Quinto and the Collins family. Um, we are just blessed by having had the opportunity to work this year together uh, and we're successful in passing AB 490, um, which now prevents, uh, known as the Angelo Quinto Act of 2021, which now prevents, uh, holds the need to positional asphyxia. And we are working again with the esteemed Assemblymember Gibson again, because we are tireless and he is more tireless than us. We're trying to learn from him on AB uh, 1608 this year to separate the role of the coroner from that of the sheriff, or basically to make the coroner independent from that of the, uh, of the sheriff that oversees it. In, in, um, in about 48 uh, counties or so in our state. Um, and so, you know, I think, Frank, the, the amazing thing is that we know that there's many problems in our world, but it has been really positive to work with the community, to work with Antioch activists, and to work with state legislators that believe that this world can be made better. Uh, and a lot of people are putting a lot on the line to reform. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's odd to talk about being fortunate in this weird situation because no one really feels fortunate. We wish we weren't in it, but we do feel fortunate for the connections that we've made, for, the, for people that now we think of as family, um, and for uh, just the commitment that we've seen uh, among so many in our community uh, for common sense reform. You know, we, you know, it doesn't have to be this politicized. I think a lot of these things are just simply common sense. And when we can get away from the politics, and just talk about whether it makes sense. A lot of the things are common sense. Well, let's um, bring in Assemblyman, Assemblymember Mike Gibson and talk about um, what's coming up. First, um, welcome again, uh, Mike Gibson. Can you kind of describe the coroner's inquest process as it is now? What happens when um, a family member is killed by the police and then you have to go through this process known as the coroner's inquest. Can you kind of lay out the way it works at this point? First of all, I want to say thank you very much for your interest in this subject matter and KPFA and the Quinto and Collins family for being here and appreciate that. But when a coroner's responsibility is to find out cause of death, how it's actually done. And so they use their forensic, they use their expertise as a medical examiner um, to conclude um, what we don't see uh, visibly. Um, and they go in and do a forensic um, examination to talk about entry in terms of when the bullet or the projectile uh, entered to the body, what it actually did when it went, if it went through, if it stopped, if it exit out. They, they provide that kind of statistics and analysis. <clears throat> uh, and then also they, they determine whether or not something was um, justifiable, right? For, it's my understanding, but I'm sure there's more other things that goes with it. What my bill does, um, 1608, it removes ambiguity. Let me say that again. It removes ambiguity. It creates transparency and accountability. Um, 1608 bifurcate or separates the sheriff's department from no longer overseeing the medical examiner's office or the coroner's office. So you will, you will hear two terminologies, but they're one in the same, a medical examiner or coroner's office. And right now there are 58 counties in the state of California. And out of the 58 counties, there are 10 uh, counties who have a separate and distinct distinction 
that does not include the sheriff's department overseeing the coroner's department. And so we believe that is the way to go. We believe that it creates transparency and accountability because when you are a coroner or a medical examiner and your budget hinges upon the sheriff allocation to your department or you oversee what happens as a sheriff department in the medical examiner's office or the coroner's office, if a family wants to get the cause of death and the sheriff says no or delay it, for months at a time, even though the coroners have concluded their investigation, their forensic studies, even though that the decedent is probably laid to rest, uh, but you still have this long period of time trying to get a, a unbiased report examination from the county coroner's office or the medical examiner's office, um, and you still can't get that because of the overseeing of the county coroner's office or the medical examiner's office, that should not be. We should not have that kind of, of dichotomy or dynamics. We should have coroner's office, medical examiner's office, standing along, being an independent voice, being able to provide a, a coroner's report, a autopsy report uh, that is released in a very timely fashion, that is not tied up or hindered by um, the uh, overseeing jurisdiction of a sheriff's department. Well, uh, let me interrupt you there and, and talk about this because um, to boil some of that down, it's one police um, authority investigating the actions of another police authority, whether it's the sheriff's um, kind of investigating the, in this case would be the Antioch police and what happened in that night, what happened to Angelo. Let me bring back uh, Bella and Robert because you've had a personal experience with the coroner's inquest, and I know that it wasn't a pleasant experience. It was a terrible experience. I intended as much as I could before I had to leave. And the process of other police agencies investigating other police agencies that may have done wrong and not being separated, as you were just speaking about, um, Mr. Gibson— Talk about that, Bella and Robert, the experience that you had um, having to deal with this coroner's inquest. Either of you, Bella or Robert? Well, um, yes, the coroner's inquest <clears throat> was scheduled about eight months after my brother was killed, which is a very long time. Um, and when we got there to the proceeding, it was immediately noticeable how biased the process was going to be and how biased we knew it to become. Um, the officers and everybody who surrounded them were even, you know, in the room with the hearing officer um, while everybody else was locked out or was, was told to wait outside. Um, and then during the actual, the inquest, the hearing officer made it very apparent that he was tied to officers and understood their narrative and, and tried to help them, you know, include any parts of the story that they were missing anytime somebody came up 
I mean, as Bella was saying, uh, one thing they, the first thing they did was they met ex parte. So they met, closed the doors and met in a closed room without the opposing side. To give you the, the idea that in a court, you never do that. You don't, the one side doesn't meet with the judge in close quarters with everyone in there that's on one side. Then the point is that all sides get to hear the same story. Um, and then uh, Bella and uh, Cassandra, who were both witnesses to the events that night, were never called to testify. So there were no witnesses called at all to testify from anyone else except for the police officers. And when a police officer didn't say what the hearing examiner wanted to hear, the hearing examiner would say, oh, I'm sorry, I think you've got this and this and this. And then he would read into the record, supposedly the testimony, the police officer forgot to give. So as far as bias, it wasn't like a process that you could even think it's unbiased. I mean, if you saw Judge Judy doing this, you'd be shocked at just meeting with one side. It just doesn't make sense for an American process, supposedly, to, to move in such a biased and uneven-handed way. And this is what this legislation will fix. It will fix the, the uh, not only the perception, but actually the reality that when there's law enforcement involved in this, it's very difficult for the sheriff's office to go against that. Um, and so um, that's why it's necessary. So what we experienced was something that I, I really thought we were in a Kafkaesque uh, novel, you know, with, with that much bias over some important decision. And then, then they, they, decided to, they decided that the cause of death was an accident due to excited, that it was excited delirium, which is basically bonk science. Um, I believe it was invented by the Taser International to cover up taser deaths. Um, but the coroner that actually testified to that, or the medical examiner, or the medical, the pathologist, sorry, that, that testified to that, basically introduced it saying that it was not, uh, that, that it was something that was very controversial, that it wasn't generally accepted, but then went ahead and said that it was a, an accidental death uh, due to excited delirium uh, because he had caffeine and uh, nicotine in his body and a couple of other uh, prescription drugs. And that's what supposedly killed him on that instant when he had the weight of two officers on his back. Uh, and now, if, I could, if, I, if I could just yeah. jump in for a moment. Uh, first of all, I think the whole concept of excited delirium, it's a lie from the very pit of hell. Um, and I say that because it is something that I understand that is not medically supported with any facts. Um, and it, people or coroner's office, and they use this um, when they have not really determined, or they tried, or they know what it, why a person passed away, but they use it as a cover-up. And so, you know, this is part of the reimagining what this looks like in the state of California, reimagine what law enforcement looks like in the state of California, reimagining um, why this is important for the for uh, the sheriff's department, the police department have no oversight over the coroner's office or the medical examiner's office so that we can get real, true, unbiased, determ conclusive determination why people die that, they, that, that warrants a coroner's um, inquest or inquiry. Um, and so we wanna remove this ambiguity in this process, but we also wanna create transparency. Um, to say that someone, uh, uh, you know, died from excited delirium. Think about it. I get excited every day. Um, and so we, we, we just can't use that because it's not medically supported with any factual basis, right? And so we believe based on what I have heard from this family and witnesses and things of that nature, 
that uh, that uh, Angelo Quinto uh, lost consciousness because a pressure was applied that's called positional asphyxia, where he was placed in a position where his oxygen was cut off, um, which leads to unconsciousness. Then if it's done long enough, it leads to death. And it may not happen immediately right then and there, but it happens because of the lack of oxygen. And let me just ask briefly, um, was those two words ever mentioned in the coroner's inquest, positional apixia? Was that even brought up in the um, the um, inquest? I don't recall positional asphyxia or prone restraints even brought up in the entire inquest. I know that they did occasionally sort of randomly deny ever putting a knee to his neck when nobody in the inquest had prompted that idea either. Well, let me ask you how the the process left you feeling uh, personally as um, the family of someone, especially um, you, Bella, who witnessed what happened. How, how were you left feeling after um, being subject to this process? Yeah, well, you know, so first, for the most part, I was hearing a lot of what was happening. That's the kind of witness I am. My mom was the one in the room the entire time watching my brother die. Um, but it was a mixed bag of things, as they say, of emotions. Um, it was really frustrating and disappointing to see that level of bias, especially in a government proceeding. Um, it was also a little bit, I don't know how to say this. There was, there was a little bit of positive feeling just knowing that they ha did not have a strong argument against the truth because there, there, there is none. He, he absolutely, all the evidence points to him dying of positional asphyxia they very largely denied any role they had in creating that scenario. Um, but it was mainly just frustrating, upsetting. And the fact that his death certificate lists, you know, um, excited delirium as his cause of death and then the accident as the manner of death, that's really, that's really upsetting that they have so much power and authority over that when it's very clear to everybody, no matter how involved you are, that 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 they have been very um, biased and they've not been independent so blatantly. <laughs> I guess that's. Yeah, um, I mean, just from the little bit I experienced being there, I could tell just like you that it was uh, not a situation that was going to be honest to what you have experience. And I see, uh, Mike, did you want to add to that before I get on to my last question? Yeah, I was going to just add, that's the reason why, frankly, that, that it is absolutely important that we, uh, one, not only have these discussions, but also put policies in place um, that bars law enforcement from utilizing these techniques that leads to death. This is proven that, you know, these techniques leads to death. When you look at George Floyd, <clears throat> right, that's the reason why I did uh, banning chokeholds and, um, um, carotid artery strains, uh, Assembly Bill 1196. The reason why I did the Angel Quinto Law, AB 490, 
is, is banning positional fixing. Both were signed into law by this governor, Gavin Newsom, right? And so we applaud his effort. We applaud uh, that one, we're trying to write a new narrative moving forward. When you look at how many people in California who have died, um, with using positional positional asphyxia. Um, when you look at, you know, George Floyd's and Breonna Taylor's and so many people goes on and on, that we need these kinds of laws in place to, yes, protect the people against the bad apples, um, you know, that's in uniform. And so this coalition have been tenacious. And let me say this family has been um, relentless in the effort of, of, of being a drum major for justice in this space. This council, Antioch Council, have done a yeoman's job by taking on, you know, some uh, very dynamic and amazing positions to change the trajectory in that city. That's a real leader in this state. And I'm very happy to, to partner with all of them. Well, thank you all. And I guess what it's going to boil down to is also enforcement when something like this inevitably will happen again, holding someone down and cutting off their air supply or putting them in a chokehold, who will follow up with the process and enforce um, punishment? Because I think what we all know and have seen throughout the history of policing is that there is never um, any accountability or punishment for the doings that happen. Let me, um, I guess, just kind of wrap it up with this because I want to just get your feelings on what we're seeing. And we kind of talked about it at the beginning, but these changes seem to be coming around after these tragedies that we've been talking about, but also with the courage and strength of newly elected officials that maybe in the case of the Antioch City Council for the first time have a majority of people of color on the board, people that may have had experience um, with police interactions, um, that these changes are being brought by people of color and newly elected progressive alliances here. Can you talk about like what you're seeing as this change like develops and takes place under these circumstances? We'll start with you, Assemblyman Gibson, and then we'll hear from Robert and Bella. Right. Uh, I would simply say you, you're starting to see people refusing to be silent on the things that matter. That's what Martin Luther King said. People are now tired of seeing and hearing and reading about these abuses taking place uh, at the hands of people who we, we're supposed to trust in terms of law enforcement. I was a former police officer and I'm disgusted with the bad apples that seems to always uh, receive the kind, of, the, the kind of attention because they doing things that are unethical and illegal and hurting people and abusing people. And so what we're starting to see is that people standing up and, and be counted to saying that that could be me. I'm going to stand up and change the trajectory. I'm going to run for public office so that I can be the change that I want to see as Mahanti Gandhi said, we must be a change agent. We must be the change that we want to see. And you look at, you articulated the transformation of the Antioch City Council. And I think that's only the beginning of what's going to take place. And we seeing, we started to see this taking shape, even on a state level, where people uh, are tired of being tired. They're stepping up to the plate and not being afraid anymore, but becoming a change agent, not only in the realm of public policy, but also in their community, on the local level, with the school board. We're starting to see a very active um, community um, um, refusing to be silent on the things that matter in our community. 
And um, Robert or Bella, how are you feeling about what you touched on at the beginning, um, Robert, when you mentioned that this tragedy happened at this moment when things were changing and then, like you said, a newly elected city council in Antioch. Um, just what are your thoughts on how this process of change is happening? Oh, no, thank you, Franklin. I think I think the, the important thing is there's some people that have been working at this for a long time, like Assemblymember Mike Gibson. This is not the first time around the rodeo on this. Uh, as we know, he even last year authored a bunch of other police reform bills. Um, and so to be able to partner with people that have been inspiring to us has been you know, just really amazing uh, from that perspective. But we don't forget that we are, you know, all the other families that have reached out to us um, have made it possible for us to act in community. And so it's very difficult when this happens, but when you feel that kind of community support, when the Oscar Grant family comes and, and, and lends you their support, or when the, when the Hall family, um, and then when legislators come in, you know, I, I think you just want to add your voice um, to the voices that have already been there. You know, what happened to George Floyd was something so horrific and caught on video um, that as a society, we should have stopped and prevented anything like that from ever happening again. But unfortunately, it's this long process. Um, and that's what it takes. It takes more and more voices. And we keep on hoping that we're the last ones, but we weren't. And we'll keep on uniting with more and more voices as this goes on. But, but we are making some positive changes at this point. Um, and I think that that's what's been really empowering about the process is that we've met so many wonderful people through this process. As I remember Gibson, the council in, in, in Antioch, and many other folks, a lot of them, as you said, of people of color that are coming and, and, and taking a stance against this to actually um, come about with some meaningful reforms. Um, in some cases, we're catching up to other states. And in some cases, like AB 490 that as I remember Mike Gibson authored, we're one of only two states in the United States that has passed an anti-positional asphyxia law and one where the George Floyd Act, the, the, the federal act does not cover. Um, so there's many lessons and many reforms that are still necessary, but it's really empowering to be, uh, to be in community with these great folks that are frankly to us, um, they're inspiring because people are putting their necks on the line to pass um, these kinds of reforms and, and to, uh, and to, to the coalition, um, you know, there are nights in, in coming to city council meetings and testifying uh, at the state capitol, you know, so that's been the, the really empowering and wonderful thing. And I do hope that, uh, like uh, I certainly remember Mike Gibson said, that more people run for office and, and you know, let's see what we can do to make it, to make it a different place. Um, it doesn't happen overnight, though, but, but we're in it for the long haul. Yes, definitely. Bella, did you want to add anything before we say goodnight? Um, sure, I guess. I'm really grateful to be a part of this and to witness so much more positive change and, and a lot of big steps being taken. Um, I know that that has not been a lot of people's experience right before my brother as well. And I also think that it's so important to see how many people are coming and standing up for what's right despite not having videos of everything because um, so much, so many people suffered the same fate as George Floyd before George Floyd for decades. And a lot of a lot of that was dismissed because there was no video or there's even a lot of authority that that officers and people in power hold that videos can be dismissed and um, just evidence, witnesses, all of that can be so easily dismissed. And the fact that people are, are 
recognizing that and um, just coming here and and speaking up regardless is really important. And I'm glad that they're doing that. All right. That's the uh, voice of Bella Quinto Collins. And then also with her is um, Robert Collins uh, Quinto, the um, stepfather of Angelo Quinto. Um, thank you, too, for joining us tonight. And um, Assemblyman, um, Assemblymember Mike Gibson, uh, thanks for the work that you're doing along with the Quinto family and for being here as well. Thank, thank you. you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, Angelo um, is our brother. is one of our own. And so we just ask and leave one message to people who listen. Don't wait till something tragic happened to your family. Let's get involved now. Yes, definitely. And there's a lot to get involved with. Well, again, I thank you all for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Um, we appreciate your time. Thank, thank you very you, much. Everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA. And of course, online all the time at kpfa.org. 1608 is joint authored by Assembly Member Dr. Akila Weber and co-authored by Senator Dr. Richard Pan and co-sponsored by the Justice for Angelo Quinto Coalition and other community activist organizations. To follow what's happening with AB 1608 and the Justice for Angelo Quinto Justice for All Coalition, check out their Facebook page, Justice for Angelo Quinto. We will also post a link on our website, kpfaapprentice.org just after the show. We'll be right back. Mr. Officer, Mr. Officer, you're the killing us. Mr. Officer, what if that was my brother? Protecting, sir. Y'all taking us off of the earth. I see the police and they're my nerves. They pulling me over. I'm showing them both of my hands and watching my words. I got insurance, no warrants. He pointing his gun like he want to blow it. Tell me why we got to die. He went for his wallet. Reach for a gun. You think that's some shit? try on a cop. He can't breathe and you still choking him. Man, why would he lie? Yo, knee in his neck. You ain't got to do all that. It's one against five. R.I.P. Mr. Officer. Mr. Officer. Mr. Officer. Yeah. They put their badge on and feel like they better than us. Right now it's seeming like their job is to make it tragic for us. Crazy part about it, it only happened to us. They brought us here against our will. Now they ain't happy with us. That's crazy. Now they talking about be cool. No, let people do what they do. I see a lot of people not saying nothing like, what if that shit was you, huh? What if that was your brother? What if that was your dad? What if that was your son? What if that was all you had, huh? 
Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA and KPFA.org. We just heard Mr. Officer by T. Grizzly featuring Queen Najia and members of the Detroit Youth Choir. I will post a link to that song and video on our website, KPFAapprentice.org, just after the show. Feel free to check it out. And coming up next, we're going to hear some sounds recorded at a protest-slash-memorial gathering for Terry Amons. Terry was killed by the Pittsburgh police here in California at the Nation's Hamburgers parking lot on Railroad Avenue in Pittsburgh. This was back in 2018. He was actually sitting in his car waiting for his food to be prepared when someone reported that he had tried to buy drugs in the parking lot. After police were called, they approached and demanded that Terry get out of his car, at the same time demanding him to keep his hands on the wheel. When Terry tried to comply and get out of his car, he reached to unbuckle his seatbelt. At that point, police said he was reaching for a gun they say was visible in the car, and one of the officers opened fire, killing Terry as he stumbled out of his car. This past January 12th marked four years since Terry's killing, and like every year, his mother family members, and community supporters have come out and gathered in the nation's hamburgers parking lot to honor the memory of Terry and demand justice they feel still hasn't come. Yes, hi world. We're out here with Terry Amos's mother, Sandra Tolbert, fighting for justice for Terry Amos, killed by Pittsburgh, California police here in Nation Burgers parking lot, here on Railroad and El Dorado. Come on out, y'all. Come out. Don't be scared. Help us shout for his rights. Let's fight. Let's fight. Fight for Terry. Fight for his rights. Say his name. Terry Amon. Say his name. Terry Amon. Say his name. Terry Amon. What do we want? Justice. When do we want it? Now. Say his name. Terry Amon. Say his name. Terry Amon. Say his damn name. Terry Amon. Terry. 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 Justice for Terry Amon. All right, this is Brewon Franklin, KPFA here. And we are at the uh, corner of Railroad and I believe El Dorado out here at the nation's giant burgers in Pittsburgh, uh, where Terry Amons was actually shot and killed by the Pittsburgh police in 2018 on January 12th. His mother and a group of um, folks and supporters and family and other mothers of um, police violence are out here in support of her. Can you briefly just uh, remind our listeners like what happened that night Terry was out here in the parking lot and what the police were trying to accuse him of? Yeah, well, he was on his way to work. He came by to get his lunch. He eats Nation Burgers for lunch. And the police claimed they got a call from somebody saying that he was trying to buy drugs, which was a lie. He was waiting on his hamburger. 
And so then the police came up and approached him and pulled out their guns and everything. And they were telling him to get out the car. And he went to undo his seatbelt. And when he went to go undo his seatbelt, they shot him once in the heart and three times in the back. They killed my child for no reason, no reason at all. And this happened in 2018. How did the police let you know that they had killed your son? What happened after the shooting took place at your house in Pittsburgh or in Antioch? After that, they came to my house and knocked on my door. And I opened the door and let them in. And when I let them in, they went in my son's room and searched my son's room without a search warrant and came out of there with an empty gun case. And they just dirty. They just was dirty. And they didn't tell me about my son until about 30 minutes after them being there. So they were in your house searching his room, and they hadn't told you that they had already killed your son. Right, right. And since this happened in 2018, Mm -hmm. what have you done to try to get justice for Terry? And what has the police department done, if anything, um, to serve discipline to these officers? Well, right now I got a lawsuit going, and I'm suing the police, and um, I'm waiting on them now. I should be going to court in April and to see what they're going to do with me, do about the lawsuit. And I've been protesting and, and trying to keep get justice for my child, protesting. That's what I've been doing. And um, what have the police department said about their officers? Have they been cleared of wrongdoing? Have they been punished? Um, what has happened to the officers? Well, as far as I know, the officer got fired, the one that shot him. He did get fired. He's not an officer anymore. Was that a direct result as what he did to your son? Yes, yes, uh-huh. Because when we went to the, um, to the inquest, the jury at the inquest found the officer wrong. They said he didn't have no right to shoot my son. So they found him wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And has the, um, the city or the police department of Pittsburgh ever apologized to you or your family members? Not a word. Not a word. And so what is it that you are after um, for justice for Terry? What would you like to see done? I would like to see that police locked up. Not just fired. I want to see him behind bars for what he done. Yeah, I want to see him locked up. All right, Sandra, is there any last words that you'd like to say before um, we let you get back to the protest on the street? Mm, No. (laughs) Sandra, well, thanks for speaking with us tonight on KPFA. Okay, thank you, Frank. Love you. (laughs) All right, yeah, also joining us out here is... Um, another mother, unfortunately, that has lost a son to police violence. And I'll let her introduce herself. Tell us uh, briefly about your case um, and let our listeners know. Yes, hi. My name is Barbara Dosp, and my son's name was Dewan Armstrong, spelled D-U-J-U-A-N, Armstrong. He was brutally murdered in Santa Rita Jail June 
2018. The date they gave us was the 23rd, but all the photos from the webcams say the 24th. So what are you telling me? They waited to the 24th to kill my son. They put him in a spit mask. They tied him up. They made him like he was an animal. They don't even do animals like that. Uh, my son was in there doing weekends and he was to turn himself in on a Friday to come out on a Sunday. That did not happen. His third weekend, my son never came home. He was 23 when they killed him. They decided to take it in their hands and put my son in an animal route. That's what I call it. Um, I'm getting false information. I haven't spoke with anybody from Santa Rita. I don't want to. Plain and simple, they killed my child. He is now gone. DeWine was a loving father, brother, son, cousin. You know, if you didn't have and he had, you had it. You understand? That's the kind of person he was. And I hate just saying he was like that. My son was in there doing what I taught him to do. I was a single parent, which was do right by the law. And that's what he was trying to do. Instead, the law killed him. I'm sitting at home waiting on him to come home on a Sunday and cooked and everything. And at the same time, I get a, I'm calling his girlfriend, bring him to the house. You know, I cook. You guys come on over. And she's saying, well, they don't, not letting him out. By then, it's 6.30. 6.35, I said, well, let me call Santa Rita Jail. And that's what I did. And the officer told me that he did not know what was going on. The system was down. And when the system comes back up, so I politely told him, well, would you get a message to my son and have him call me as soon as he get out so I know what's going on? And right then and there, I felt some kind of way. I felt like they could have told me, well, ma'am, we're going to send an officer over to you. Or, ma'am, we, you know, uh, could you come down here? None of that from them. They did not show up at my door. I found out my son was dead through his girlfriend, through the public. I found out in a way where her dad got on the phone and said, uh, 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 Juan gone. I said, what? He said, Juan gone. I said, what are you talking about, Juan gone? For them to have killed my son the way they did, and for him not to come home, I'll never be able to see my son because Santa Rita Jail took it upon themselves to kill my son while he was doing weekends. The judge didn't even know what to do with him. The judge like, uh, uh, well, what do you think I should do with you, young man? And at that point in time, he said, well, I'll tell you what. He called for a recess, went and talked to everybody else, came, but went back there to the chamber, came back with the decision of him to do 30 days and nine weekends. Only nine weekends. And my son did not make it home. And let me interrupt here and just ask, in many cases, as we heard from Sandra a moment ago, Nothing has really been done in many cases. The officer, in her case, one of them, um, lost his job, um, but he's free and roaming around. Has anything been done, or do you even know about the officers that took the life of your son? Have they been punished? Have they been um, brought to justice? Well, no, they haven't. Um, the district attorney of Alameda County decided that there was nothing wrong with what they did to my son, which plain as day you can see, it's all over social media, it's all over YouTube, that they killed my son. 
she did not feel it was acceptable for her to hold her officers accountable for the death of Dewan Armstrong. And um, I've been told that as within this, it's been a year, I believe, the lieutenant, which um, I think his name is Kevin, Kevin McCollum. He was a lieutenant there. He has gotten dismissed from Santa Rita jail, but is still not in prison. Walking around free. Why? If it would have been me, I'd have been up under or dead. Well, let me ask you about what you're doing today and how you and other mothers and family members support each other. Um, tell me, in your opinion, why it's important to come out when you can to support um, other families and other mothers. I feel that I know that this is what my son would want me to do. You know, and when they did this to him, they messed with the wrong mother. So I'm going to always be out here. I don't care if I'm sick, if I got a broke leg, if whatever. I'm coming out for myself, for other mothers, for other dads, because it's not all mothers, for other dads, you know, other parents that's out here fighting for justice for their children. These police officers need to be held accountable for what they are doing to our loved ones. And to you personally, how does it feel when you get to actually um, meet and speak with other families and mothers? Um, what does it do for you um, personally in your healing and grieving process? Well, for me, it, I believe, I know um, if it wasn't for like the Ella Baker Center and some uh, and APTP and Courage, some other centers that has been there by my side since day one, I don't know where I will be without them really right now. And doing things like this with other families is kind of like a therapy for me. You know, it helps me. It, it gets me along through the day. And when I'm not doing nothing, I feel awful. I have to be out here. I'm not going to stop. It's never going to end. I'm here. I'm here. I'm always going to be here for whoever needs me to be by their side. They want to do protests. They want to do some kind of action. I'm here. Let me know. All right, is there anything else that you'd like to say be, um, before we let you go back to the protest over there? I would just like the world to help me get the information out about what happened to my son, Dewan Armstrong, in Santa Rita Jail. You know, he left three kids behind, um, and his mother, which he did, loved dearly all of us, his nephews, sisters, brothers, and his heart, my other children. I look at them every day and I cry every day and I have to literally hide from them not to let them see their mother cry and they know that I'm hurting so bad, you know, and I know that they're hurting, but I know that them seeing me out here fight gives them a reason to be here with me fighting and that's what they do. I'm going to always be here. I'm going to stand up for my baby's rights. I'm going to hold his legacy together and his children. I fight for them every day, every day. Yeah, they have a GoFundMe out there that has helped, you know, throughout the, these three years. You know, I'm not, I haven't been back to work since, you know, I get to work and I just can't do it. They just say, well, come back when you can. You know, they're very, they're very, how do you say, you know, understanding. understanding towards my situation. 
And I just want to get the information out. I want everybody to know what went on in Santa Rita jail with Dewan Armstrong, my son, 23 years old, murdered for no reason at all. And he was murdered. He was beaten before they wrapped him. All right, well, we'll help you spread the word as best we can. Thanks for uh, speaking with us tonight on KPFA. Thank you. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM, KPFA and KPFA.org. Those interviews and sounds were recorded at a protest slash memorial for Terry Amons on January 12th, 2022. Also following up, an independent investigation of the number of deaths at the Santa Rita jail is being called for by activist community members and lawyers. According to a review of data and autopsies by local news station KTVU, in 2021, seven people died in the Dublin facility and there have been a total of 56 in-custody deaths at the Santa Rita Jail since 2014. Stay tuned to Full Circle and KPFA for more news on the Santa Rita Jail as well as the case of Terry Amons. And we'll post a link to the Santa Rita Jail Solidarity page on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show. That does bring us to the end of the show tonight. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org, for more links and information relating to tonight's show. And just a reminder, the First Voice Apprenticeship Program is still accepting applications for our next group. So while you're on the website, click on that Apply tab and fill out an application. Let me give a quick shout-out to the Full Circle crew, our executive producer, Miss M, Joy Moore, our production consultant and myself Freeville and Franklin I am the technical director for this show full circle and I'm also your host tonight everyone out there please do me a favor and protect your health and also your humanity and stay tuned to KPFA because coming up next is La Onda Fajita good night everyone <laughs>